St. Paul's letters are often experienced as complicated and dense. Matters aren't helped with his writing style, his very long sentences. Even St. Peter made a comment in one of his letters about the way that St. Paul expresses things and how people, some people, misunderstand. Some of his letters are rather complicated and dense. Some are really quite practical. They deal with common, everyday problems, which gives them an immediate sense of relevance. This has a bearing on my life in a practical way. For example, in the Corinthian community, there were divisions, divisions between rich and poor. This was manifested at the Eucharist. So the practice was that there was a meal before the Eucharist was celebrated. And it was a type of meal where you brought your own food and your own drink. Well, the rich had plenty of means to bring good food and lots of drink, and some would get drunk. While the poor, they might have a little to eat, and some didn't have any at all. And so there are divisions that were experienced that grew up there. And St. Paul simply wrote and said, don't do that. You have homes to eat at. Eat there. And then come for the Eucharist. And today's reading second reading is another example. It is in part a response to a problem, kind of the problem of egoism. Some are essentially saying, my gift is more important. Others, no, mine is. No, 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 mine is the best. I mean, it's not totally foreign to our own experience, is it? Even just in our own minds, no, I'm the most important. How does Paul address it? Where do your gifts come from? Was it you that originated them? There are different kinds of spiritual gifts with the same spirit. There are different workings, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. Don't be so prideful, right? You're not the origin of your gifts. God is, which means there should be unity among us. We have a common source of existence and gifts. But sadly, there's division. You're not the origin of your gifts, Paul is saying. But neither are your gifts only for you. To each individual, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for some benefit. Expression of knowledge, healing others. It's not about you and it's not about me, Paul is demonstrating. Your focus is off if you're functioning in that way. Our lives and gifts are meant to be at the service of something greater which makes our lives greater and more meaningful than they otherwise would be. But there is an associated cost with this. Yes, it's the cost of saying no to ourself, to self-centeredness, selfishness. But there's more, which comes out in the introductory lines to our second reading, which for whatever reason were omitted. Before you became Christian, Paul said, you lived in a confused way. You pursued irrational things. Then he wrote, so I want to make it clear to you that nobody who is speaking by God's spirit ever says, Jesus be cursed. And nobody can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus be cursed. I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? No one whose life curses what Jesus is about is animated by God's spirit. A different spirit is at work in them. But then nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 
I mean, that sounds simple enough, right? But Paul was taking the common imperial acclamation, Caesar is Lord, and blatantly subverting it, undermining Caesar's authority. Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is, the Christian confessed. Confessing Jesus is Lord was revolutionary. It was enough to get you killed, and for Paul and countless others, it did. Saying Jesus is Lord, professing faith in him comes with a cost. The willingness to bear it is a sign of the Spirit's activity in your life. So the question becomes, what is your profession of faith costing you? What does that suggest about the Holy Spirit's activity in your life? You're here. It's a wintry morning during a pandemic. That's good. I mean, that's really good. It's costing you some time. Time is valuable. And while you're here, I'm so impressed with parents who expend effort while they're here, modeling the truth that professing faith has a cost. That's an important way the value of something is communicated. Effort and sacrifice are involved, which combats entitlements and irrelevance. I see these parents with a hymnal open, helping their kids follow along and sing. I see them engaging in the parts of the Mass and the responses and actions. I see them and others, of course, participating in ministries and making financial contributions. I know from many years of experience now, this shouldn't be taken for granted because there is such widespread apathy, uninvolvement, and resistance to anything being expected. Requiring kids to sign in for Mass during the confirmation year, regular attendance at Mass when it conflicts with sports, or just supporting one's parish. JFK's challenge has not only been reversed regarding our country, but also regarding church. Ask not what you can do for your church, but ask what your church can do for you. What is your profession of faith costing you in terms of your time, your effort, your involvement, your monetary contributions? What is it costing you at work? around your friends, in your political discussions, your presence on social media? What spirit is at work in your life? How are you blessing others with the gifts with which you've been blessed? Friends, the problems in the lives of Corinthians ended up being opportunities for more mature and meaningful lives open to God's transforming spirit. He is that bond which unites believers and urges us to bless others with the blessings with which we've been blessed. Let's open our hearts to him regardless of the costs, trusting that our struggles and problems can be transformed too.